either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Was the week before Exorcist Believer and two weeks before Taylor Swift. <laughs> but there are more movies to talk about, you bet, for uh, the big screen and for streaming. And we will discuss. Welcome in. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. Let's start on the big screen. Against the backdrop of a war between humans and robots with artificial intelligence, a former soldier finds the secret weapon, a robot in the form of a young child. It's called the Creator. Ten years ago today, the artificial intelligence created to protect us detonated a nuclear warhead in Los Angeles. This is a fight for our very existence. Sergeant Taylor, we are this close to winning the war. But the AI are developing a super weapon. Retrieve it. Or they win. Yeah, it's just a kid. Do you have any idea what the thing is? She looks like a little girl now, but she's growing. Whoever has that kid wins the war. Well, this one looks good. I mean, it's a good-looking movie. It is a good-looking movie, and that's the first thing. And I guess I didn't realize until after I saw it that the budget came in at under $100 million dollars. And when you think about today's blockbusters, especially today's CGI blockbusters, that's kind of on the cheap. Right. You know, uh, you can go three times that and not look as good as this does. It looks fantastic. It is co-writer and director Gareth Edwards. And, yeah, the whole whole look of it and the world building is is first rate. Uh, Reminded me in more than a few occasions of the world building in uh, Blade Runner. The original Blade Runner, you know, not as dark and not not as gritty, but it's still that successful. It has a real Spielberg feel to it. I mean, there's a lot about this movie for good and for positive and negative that reminds you of other films and right. other filmmakers. Right. It's a it's a good, solid sci-fi story about a very obviously hot button topic right now, and that is AI. It's only a a few decades into the future. It starts in 2065, and then moves ahead a little bit, but there is a war between the AI and humans. John David Washington plays Sergeant Taylor, and when we first meet him, he's undercover trying to infiltrate the forces, the side of the uh, AI, the simulants, they call them, or the sims, the simmies, trying to find what they're calling the Nermata, the lead designer of advanced AI that they have learned has designed a super secret weapon that could really turn the tide and end the war in favor of the sims and one thing leads to another don't want to spoil too much but as the as the trailer tells you he finds that secret weapon in the form of uh, a sim that is basically a nine-year-old girl uh alfie played by the incredible madeline yuna voiles who this is her first acting gig as far as imdb says and she is tremendous. <laughs> a- another one of these cases where they find these children and they're just so good. She's so 
because of the sort of part she plays, there are times when she's just very, quote-unquote, robotic, Mm -hmm. and other times when her face is just that cute little face is so (laughs) expressive. And let me tell you, bring some tissues to this because it has the feels. It does. And so once he finds her, then he learns some things, and some of it involves uh, his past life and his past loved ones. Again, don't want to spoil anything. But he becomes her protector and, 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 and is more viewed by the AI as he's not undercover anymore. He's on their side, and he's trying to, to uh, get to the bottom of what is really the aim of the, the uh, human military side, uh, led by, we should mention, not only Ralph Ineson, our favorite from The Witch, That's and that right. voice. You know that voice. But even more so, in a bigger part, Allison Janney. Oscar Love winner Alice and Jenny, yeah. Love. Hooray uh, so, for tall girls. Yeah. So so it's great to see them. And they're eventually hunting not only the the girl, the weapon, but John David Washington is now he's viewed as a traitor. So and it's also there's some there's some uh, question as to how the war actually started. Like who you know, who shot first, Han or Greedo? You know. <laughs> um so it's a very it's a story that takes again the, the hot button issue of AI and it takes a very universal look at it, um, a very broad-brushed type of approach to it in the question. There are so many now, and we've, you know, we've here in 2023, we've just really begun to scratch the surface. We're seeing what AI can do as far as impersonating people, their voices, their look, um, and adding to the problem of disinformation. All these very specific things that the the story and the screenplay doesn't really address for in in favor of making a, a wider comment on well if people can design what the the uh, movie and what the company in an ad terms as more human than human well maybe in the future they will do a better job at keeping their humanity better than we do in, in our warring ways and in our rush to judge people who aren't like us. And so that's a that's the bigger issue that it, it wants to talk about. And I think sometimes as successful as it is and as, as engaging as the story is, it comes off as a little a little light, a wider, simpler kind of it's not I'm not, not calling the movie dumb by any means, but sometimes you, you think maybe it could have a little more bite, a little mm-hmm. more substance to it. It has a very, as I said, Spielberg. There's a wonder to it. You're gonna, you're gonna be reminded of movies from from 2001. Uh, I already mentioned um, the look of Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Not as thoughtful as those films, but uh, it is definitely is a really solid sci-fi story that looks again fantastic and has an, a, a nice, easy to comprehend message that I think most people will appreciate. Um, and again, just a fantastic, fantastic look. Um, what Gareth Edwards has and his team been able to achieve for that "quote unquote" bargain price right. of under one hundred million dollars—it really, really looks good. And for me, I didn't know—I knew a little bit about the story before going into it, but I was surprised at the the deep humanity, the deep feeling of it, especially the the connection between these two characters, John David Washington and uh, the young girl playing Alfie, Madeline Univoyles. Just really, really good. And um, when it gets into to her creation, how she came to be, you're, then, then you're going to be reminded of, again, going back to Spielberg and AI. Remember that one with uh, Haley Joel years yep. ago. There's there's especially one scene I'm thinking of that might need you to uh, reach for the tissues. It slips a little bit when 
you feel like as actually Brandon, uh, our other writer for for Mad Wolf, Brandon Thomas pointed out after he had seen it, we were throwing back and forth some comments uh, about maybe some connective tissue, some editing. You get to feel like maybe there's a longer version that had a little more more, more scenes that help you get connection between one character or another or one one scene, one movement to another that maybe has been cut down to, a, I think it's about two hours and 15 minutes, something like that. So there are, that's a fair point, and there are instances where you feel maybe something was left out, but still a solid, solid sci-fi movie, and it really looks great, and solid performances as well, and a easily digestible and easily understood, especially in these times with how much AI is in the conversation, very vital in what we're dealing with right now. So yeah, recommend it, and see it on the big screen for sure, because it definitely deserves it. And this is out there now, starting this weekend, called The Creator. Well, it's almost October, so you know we're going to have at least one horror movie, and we do. It's a sick and desperate John Kramer traveling to Mexico for a risky and experimental medical procedure in hopes of a miracle cure for his cancer, only to discover the entire operation is a scam to defraud the most vulnerable. This is Saw X. According to these scans, the tumor was never removed. How much time do I have? Months, at best. I still have a lot of work that needs to be done. Hello, everyone. It's time to play a game. You all pretended to cure me. But what I have planned for each of you is very real live or die the choice is yours yes there's been 10 of these uh going back to it's almost 20 years now 20 years of saw and you know i think we've mentioned before we're not huge fans of this franchise Still, to this day, appreciate the twist in the first one. Mm-hmm. Definitely do. Mm-hmm. Very clever. Mm-hmm. This type of horror is not our bag. But even, I God, I, I've got to think, even the, the most diehard fans of this franchise have got to realize that so many films in this whole series have just been terrible. Yeah. Just terrible. I mean, I think I like these, uh, generally speaking, better than you do. But, um, you know, they... After the first one, which was very clever, James Wan, uh, his his directorial debut. Mm-hmm. After the first one, uh, which was a spare, gritty, mean little movie, um, the the sort of return on that investment was low. You know, the second one was ugh, maybe half as good. The third one, eh, you know, and and they just devolved. Some of them are horrendously bad horrendously some of them bad. are so bad that spiral from three years ago looks like it isn't as bad oh you just take spiral by itself and compare it to regular movies it is garbage it is a garbage heap so it really is. i don't i don't mean to i don't mean to pile on um th- this is all to say that saw x is saw 10 whatever is this <laughs> is the best in the franchise since the original. And we should point out where it stands in the timeline because right. all of these terrible sequels are really not part of this this universe. It hasn't happened yet, right? right. So um, it's that, because the timeline for the 10 films is, is a little bit screwy. The, the film that came 
2017, I think, called Jigsaw was a prequel. So that's chronologically the first one. And then the original Saw from 2004. And then this then one. This one. So this one chronologically would take place between Saw and Saw 2. Right. That's why he's still alive. It's right. not a prequel, but he's still alive as the synopsis said, thinking there's a cure for his cancer. Right. And, you know, as the trailer says, you conned. Yeah. So uh, things are obviously going to go really badly for (laughs) the people who conned him into believing that they had taken this tumor from his brain. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, know, pretty quickly they all wake up unconscious and chained to something in a filthy, disgusting basement. Um, And it all that all looks pretty familiar. It actually takes... About fully 30 minutes or more to get there. Because I think the film was intended maybe to be a bit of a character study, you know, um, so we can get to know John, get to know the man behind Jigsaw a little bit. And um, it doesn't, it just doesn't entirely work. Um, Although Tobin Bell, always um, welcome. Mm -hmm. He does a very fine job in these movies. Uh, and uh, as as a sort of a, a very ailing man, um, it's a little bit interesting to see him, but it's almost comedic um, at times to see him sort of contemplating during his daily life how he would kill through very intricate means the people that he's looking at. You're like, <laughs> is this supposed to be funny? I don't know if it's supposed to be funny. And actually, to be honest with you, the best of the traps turns out to be sort of a, uh, uh, a bit of trickery, which was too bad because it, it was a very cool trap. So we get to know him. We get to spend some time with him. And then uh, and then they all wind up in the basement. If you don't like Saw movies, you're not going to like this movie. And a lot of horror films, this is, uh, invariably, this is the reason. When somebody says they don't like horror, this is what they point to. Like, that's what all of horror is. But I get that. If you don't like the first one, I don't see you liking this one. But... If you have liked any of them, I think you will, right? Because it's it's um, much the same. It's very very bloody. Limbs get hacked oh, off. Yeah. Entrails are, sp- are spilled. You know, it's it's grim. Which, it is mean. Which, to be fair, is anyone coming to these is looking for that, right. expecting that, exactly. and it's going to deliver that. The filmmaker's director is Kevin Grutert. Writers Josh Stolberg and Pete Goldfinger. I believe all three have been involved. Oh, forever, yeah, forever in the franchise. Actually, so the writers, that can be good and bad, right? Well, the writers did two two of the bad ones. They did um, they did Jigsaw, which is maybe the worst. That is the the prequel, and they did Spiral, which is that's the worst. Come terrible. On. It's not. It's actually oh. not. But it's terrible. So so but so the writing is is a bit better. You know, it's a funny thing. I'm not sure. And then the the director did, I think. What four and five maybe? Yeah. Um. It's just a, it's just a funny thing that they keep going back to the same creatives who made bad ones. Yeah. And it's not like they're going back to Juan because of course they couldn't afford him. Right. But, so it, it's just a funny thing to me why, why they don't bring in anybody fresh. But the truth is, for whatever reason, they did a better job this time than they have in a decade. And it's well, worth two decades. Mentioning that, uh, sir, if you if you. Excited by the fact that Shawnee Smith's character is back. They don't. It's kind of underused. A little bit. I mean, she's she's got a she's on screen for the whole like second half of the movie, mm-hmm. but they don't they don't give her enough of a part, um, which is too bad because she's um, she's quite good. She's quite good in all of the episodes that she's in. So uh, I was a little sorry that they didn't give her a little bit more. I mean, she's she's got lines. It's not like she's barely yeah. there. It's just that the character doesn't give in enough to do 
I, don't, I would have liked to see more meat there. Yeah, and if you do go, there is a stinger at the end, an extra yeah. scene, so you want to hang out. And also, if you haven't looked up, there's a, a parody ad from, you know, when you go to the AMC theater and you see the Nicole Kidman ad about magic happens here, they did a parody with the, the bow-tied jigsaw puppet. Man. Brilliant. Funny. It's so good. It's it's, it's genius, and it re- really. And it reminded us how good those, this has been a few years, but people made those videos about taking Jigsaw to work oh, yeah. or sharing an apartment with oh, yeah. Jigsaw. Those are funny. The they puppet guy. The puppet guy, yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you haven't seen the parody on the AMC uh, ad, look that up, too. Hilarious. But, uh, <laughs> but Saw 10, uh, probably the best since the original. Yes. Let's put it that yeah. way. And that's out in theaters now. Let's stay in horror and stay in the theaters. When a nun in a remote convent claims immaculate conception, and we'll get to that, the Vatican sends a team of priests to investigate, concerned about an ancient prophecy that a woman will give birth to twin boys. One the Messiah, the other the Antichrist. This is Deliver Us. This nun, Sister Hughes, is pregnant with twins. She claims it's immaculate. You don't think that these children are from God. I think all children are from God. She says her two unborn kids talk to her and that she knows that one of them is good and one is evil. If you've um, if you've listened to this or God knows our other podcast, Fright Club, much you know that I um, I take issue with Catholicism facts in horror. It's just a big you when know, they don't get it right, right. And now this one, the Immaculate Conception, very few people on planet Earth get right. Most people that I know, including Catholics, longtime Catholics, lifelong Catholics, get this wrong. The Immaculate Conception is not when Jesus Christ was conceived it is when mary right. was conceived so mary was conceived not to have um original sin therefore she could become an appropriate vessel for the christ so there's no real term for when she gets pregnant right well there is a term for when he's born the virgin birth right there you go because they've come to use it as a catch-all yeah for well she got pregnant without having sex right. that's an immaculate, that's immaculate what, except, right. no and the thing is it's hard to hold the, that against these filmmakers because it's so rarely known but it's that's but and it's not the only thing they get wrong but come on <laughs> it's know. not like you're the only person that went to <laughs> right. catholic school you know. know how many catholics are out there somebody <laughs> has to um excuse me Fact check <laughs> and maybe they did and maybe they just don't care but anyway uh, yeah, we'll get to the other thing that they that they do, but it's another. This is not an evil nun. This is more of a sexy nun. In fact, <laughs> in fact, this whole movie has a real horn dog vibe to it. It really there's does. a sexy priest. As <laughs> there well. is, there is a sexy priest, and it's played by Leroy Coons, who's a co-director and he's also the co-writer. And it, yeah, he he plays. His name is Father. Here we go. Father Daniel Fox, okay, (laughs) because Father Joseph McDreamy was busy. They couldn't send him in to investigate this. His his Father Fox now is getting ready to leave the church because he's American, but he's stationed in in Russia. This is all happening over in Russia and Estonia, where the convent is. Uh, But he's, he's leaving the church because he has gotten a prominent Russian businesswoman pregnant. So they're gonna go and start the family. And and after they bring him in, they want him to take one more case because he's become renowned for having success with these demo- quote-unquote demonic cases, even though he says he has found that there's always a scientific reason behind him, and he's he's a doubter. 
But uh, the bishop is trying to convince him not to leave the church. One of the things he says is, hey, this whole celibacy thing, it's really more of a tradition than anything else. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sitting there going, go on. I want him to say, so you can still be a priest and have this family. It's fine. <laughs> They, ne- I mean, they never go. But I'm like, is that what you're saying? <laughs> they don't get there. So anyway, but uh, Father Fox de- decides to, okay, I'll take this case, go in and see. You've got this young nun, Sister Yulia, U- played by Maria Vera Ratti. And she is pregnant with twins, and she is claiming virgin birth. And not only that, but she's saying the twins talk to her, and she knows one of them is good, the Messiah, one of them is evil, the Antichrist. And once... Father Fox gets there. He stumbles into this whole conspiracy. There's this secret order. Oh, it's always a secret order. Yeah, there is. You know, how many horror films have gone into this secret prophecy thing? Oh Fertile ground there. And they're trying to, they're determined to kill Julia before the twins can be born and then set off this this ancient that'll lead to the end of days type of thing. So there's all sorts of that going on in a mystery. And, of course, there's this attraction between the handsome priest and the sexy nun. I will say about this movie, it looks great. It really looks good. I mean, the cinematography is really good. The confines of the the convent or the snowy Russian landscape and the steam from when they get out there and from their breath or from water. It really just their general hotness. Their general hotness. Yeah, the steam heat. It does look good, and some of the shots are set up well. And I I do appreciate the opening the the premise too. It's interesting and. The opening few minutes is it, there's a brutal opening that sets this up, so you get some blood, some some brutality right away, and some ooh, what's going on here? It just doesn't have enough to 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 bring it home, especially as the more it goes on, the filmmakers seem concerned with the lack of eroticism in exorcism movies. <laughs> they really want to put that right. Um, oh, okay, <laughs> but it gets a little. And you brought this point up before. Some of these demonic movies. They can de- they get silly. They get silly. They get silly. They get silly, and some of the the forced sexiness it's just overdone a little bit. So there there is potential here, and there's some good construction to it, and and a good premise, but it can't it can't bring it home. But um, it's it's really concerned about the uh, the sexiness, and it wants to bring that to, <laughs> to, to, to the horror film. But it becomes be- because the um, the twins do eventually get born, and that's just not the that's not the end of it. Uh, that's not to spoil anything because that's part of it. Once they do, then he knows, Father Fox knows that the conspiracy, then it's on the run. They have to be on the run from people that are still hunting them to kill them. And and how's it going to play out? So it's it's certainly not a horrible film. It's just I think they do a good job setting up a a finale, a, a satisfactory finale that they, they just can't deliver. They get distracted going into too many other areas. But it's certainly a, a different track to take. I think, with a, a demonic type of film. And that is in theaters now. That's on the big screen for not a, not an evil nun. We've done that. She's oh, still sure, out there yeah. doing well. Sexy nun. And the hot priest is Deliver Us in theaters now. <laughs> Let's stay with horror but move to Shudder. Not all nightmares are over when you wake up. So says the movie Nightmare. <laughs> This is a slice of Norwegian horror. Writer-director, let me see if I can get this. Kirsti? It's K-J-E-R-S-T-I. Helen Rasmussen is the writer-director. 
It's funny how similar this is to um, Deliver Us, as well as, if I might just plug it again, our Fright Club. Our last Fright Club podcast is on um, The Baby Made Me Do It, so horror movies about pregnant women where the baby uh-huh. causes some sort of change. Oh, yes. You know, and yes. it's so funny to me that how me we it. were right on top of things because now there are two this week. One thing I didn't mention about Deliver Us that probably differentiates it from this, full frontal male nudity. Yeah. Okay, then. Um, uh-huh. I, I don't recall any. <laughs> Your move. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are also no nuns in this one at all. It's uh, it's a young couple, and um, they just bought this apartment, this big, spacious apartment in Oslo, that how do they afford it? You'd think maybe somebody had just died, and then they just, like, there's this sort of awkward pause, and the guest at the party, did somebody die here? Oh, you probably read about a pregnant woman, you know, killed herself, you know, oh. blah, blah, blah. So, and then um, there's a cre- screaming, crying baby across the hall, and the crying baby's parents seem to be a little bit weird, and, you know, but that's not really the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem is that Mona, she's not sure she wants any of this. She's not sure she wants this apartment. She had to, to like, you know, leave college and leave her budding designing career. And now her boyfriend, who's promising that he's a grown-up now, wants to start a family right away. So she's trapped in this existence that she probably doesn't really want. And that's really the good, the tension in this movie. And then she finds that she's pregnant. And that happens at about the same time that she starts having these waking nightmares. So she... She's never sure if she's awake or if she's asleep. She does a lot of sleepwalking. She does a lot of damage to herself while she's sleepwalking. Um, and um, and she keeps dreaming that her boyfriend uh, uh, is having sex with her. And so uh, there's this... When, it's like a hotter version. <laughs> it a is steamier hotter. version, it's a right? Steamy. I mean, not as steamy as, as Father Fox, but... <laughs> <laughs> but the whole, you know, the movie does a really good job, I think, of the... Um, what would be in the world... The, the film, the real world anxieties that that um, are causing sort of uh, the metaphorical nightmare. The world of the actual nightmare doesn't work that well um, for me. And then and then they then they sort of take it the next step into this medical drama, right? Because there's this uh, there's this sleep clinic, and and the guy actually really knows what's going on, and it has to do with the house, and it has to do with the neighbors, and blah blah blah. That works even less well. That seems even more. Um, it's not fully fleshed out or detailed or thought through. But during the moments where they focus just on on Mona and her, the character's real life troubles, it's quite effective mm-hmm. um, and uh, and um, alarming. And then there's also uh, I think uh, the end is gonna is gonna shock you a bit. So I, it's um it's on the whole, and the performances are very good. And and uh, and I think that the idea of the sort of boyfriend who's oblivious to what's going on it's handled well because you don't hate him and you don't hate her for being too weak to just get up and leave you you realize they actually have genuine affection for each other and there's something there is love there there's just in both cases a a blindness to what the other person needs uh the couple played by mona's ellie harbo and robbie is herman herman tomaras so she if you've ever seen a norwegian horror film from maybe five or six years ago called thelma uh, which is very good. Mm-hmm. She's the lead, and she's wonderful in that, and she's wonderful in this as well. Uh, and you mentioned the ending. I, I'm always, I give credit to filmmakers that aren't afraid to go a place that may be unpopular. Yes. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, but that is on Shutter now. Uh, so often, it's worthwhile to check out their Shutter originals, and this one's called Nightmare.
Let's stay with streaming. This is a comedy on VOD. To save her job, a young lawyer must go undercover, enrolling as a freshman at her old alma mater, in order to resuscitate the well-being of her boss's terribly awkward teenage son. That sounds kind of familiar. Uh, (laughs) This one is called The Re-Education of Molly Singer. Pebblebrook is threatening to sue us for mishandling his case. What? Your son is on line one. Sit down. Hey, my love, how's your first day going? I'm coming home. Honey, Steiners are not quitters, we're fighters. I'm not a fighter, I'm a daily upper decker. Oh, ah, ah, the upper leg! Hey, it was him! I don't even know what that means. You went to undergrad at Barnett University. You were president of your sorority and popular with all the guys, right? I mean, yeah, look at you. My son is a really good kid, but he's a recluse. I would like to hire you to go back, take him under your wing. You want to pay me to go back to Barnett? Yeah. Yes. A helicopter parent hires an aging party girl to bring her son out of his shell. But not specifically to have sex with him. No, not in this case. In fact, probably specifically not to have sex with him. Just to uh, nudge him, uh, mm-hmm. get him involved in college. And the fact that um, that no hard feelings exists uh, is definitely detrimental to the re-education of Molly Singer because in every respect, it's a better movie. It's funnier. The performances are better. The direction is better. The writing is better. It's more interesting. It's more interestingly told. It's funnier. I know I said that, but it's so much funnier. This one, uh, this one although it does have you know some decent performances... It feels, first of all, it feels like it probably was a three-hour movie that they just gutted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it didn't need to be a three-hour movie. Believe me, it didn't need to be a, a two-hour movie. But there are so many, like, gags that feel like they probably were callbacks to something that didn't happen or they were setups to callbacks that yeah. never happened yeah. that you're like, why Why did they twice bring up karaoke? Like, I don't even understand what's happening right here. And there are some funny moments. There are some funny just lines that are tossed aside and dropped. But... um. It also feels to me uh, like it was probably originally written for a male lead and they kind of revamped it for a female lead so that it wasn't just another sexist 1985 uh, college frat boy party Mm. movie. Yeah. Because it has all of the earmarks of one of those. (laughs) It feels very much just like one of those movies that like Back to School or or Revenge of the Nerds minus the rape. Well, well, Molly is played by Britt Robertson, who I've been impressed with. I remember she was so good in Tomorrowland, that bloated George Clooney thing. She was great in that. And and I know she was a lot younger because I almost didn't recognize her, to be honest with you, in this one. Yeah, she's she's quite good in this as well. And but it just in fact, you know, most of the performances are Jamie Presley, who plays the mother. She plays she plays Molly Singer's boss at the at the legal at the law firm. And she's just she nails it. She's quite, quite funny. But even that she has a scene where she takes her son to a strip club. Which just feels like just hijinks. Here's just a sketch that we're going to tack on. It doesn't further the plot. It doesn't make very much sense. It gives Jamie Presley an opportunity to be funny. Mm. But you get a lot of that. Just scenes that there's a scene in a high school cafeteria. I mean, there's just all these scenes. You're like, where? Did, what is this doing in this movie? Somebody thought there was a funny line, and they built an entire scene around it. And you feel like your time is being wasted. The other thing, in terms of the direction, is that um, scenes go on way too long. Mm-hmm. I, I, You know, with the hope that you're laughing it out and that you're just sticking around to see if anything else funny happens. But, you know, you might have gotten a chuckle and by the time the scene is over, you're looking at your watch. 
And uh, Elliot, the boy, is played by Ty Simpkins, who we just also saw in college with the most recent in the Insidious universe. Yeah, he was in college there, too. Yeah, in both cases, it's like his first day at college, and he doesn't really want to go. And so I I hope that this poor actor someday gets to graduate (laughs) from college and do something else. Uh, Director Andy Palmer, the writers are Todd M. Friedman and Kevin Haskin. Um, That is the re-education of Molly Singer. So has some funny moments, but boy, especially if you've seen No Hard Feelings, it just doesn't doesn't quite measure up. And that is on VOD Now. Next is the first of three new short films on Netflix from Wes Anderson. These chronicle a variety of stories, but the main one follows Henry Sugar, who is able to see through objects and predict the future with the help of a book he stole in the wonderful story of Henry Sugar. An extraordinary thing happened. All at once, he sees through his own skin. Like an x-ray, only better, he sees everything. Henry was now almost certainly capable of making money faster than any other person in the entire world. Interesting. His name was Henry Sugar. I think people ought to know a bit about what he has done for the world. Well, these sure are Wes Anderson shorts. Yeah, it was funny. We were talking on our TV gig this morning, the the co-host, uh, Phil. He just said all he had to do was see, like, one second of the trailer. Oh, yeah. oh that's Wes Anderson. Oh, yeah. Yes, and this is extremely Wes Anderson-y. Yeah. Uh, because that's what he does, and he does it very well. And this one reminds you, it's funny, we say a lot of times about how film being a visual medium, and we like we like showing over telling. You know, that's not a rule that you cannot break. And it's like most rules in art. If you master the first rules, you can play around. Oh, yeah. And, and he does because he reminds you he does he does so well with being wordy and telling you things, but at the same time backing it up with the visuals. He's one of the best at it because all three of these are almost like they're reading you the short story. Exactly. But at the same time, giving you these brilliant visuals like it's a pop-up book right and he's he's a master at weaving both the showing and the telling that always go hand in hand he's great with it yeah it, and actually I, I love the uh, that that concept that it's a pop-up book because that's exactly what it seems like there is all three this the rat catcher and the swan they are three short films all of them uh, adapted from roll doll shorts and and of course he's he's known for uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory among others. He's got a very distinctive voice. James and the Giant Peach. James and the Giant Peach. Matilda. Yeah. Um, yep. What these shorts do is is they never they never let him roll doll sort of leave your consciousness. You never forget that it's not like he doesn't create the world within the story. He creates the the uh, storytelling itself. So. It's and it's fascinating the way he does it, and it's it's never less than entertaining. And he's got a killer cast. So oh my lord! Cumberbatch is the main character in Henry, Henry Sugar, Sugar, yeah. But you've also got Ray Fiennes and Ben Kingsley, Dev Patel. You'll recognize a bunch of familiar faces, and these stories just lend themselves perfectly to Wes Anderson's type of storytelling because they're so intricate. Yeah. So many specific things happen that have to be told, especially in this first one. Before Henry Sugar gets this very unique talent that he gets, and then what he does with it, and it, they go on in the other the other ones too about the rat catcher and oh, how yeah. this this rat catcher played by Ray Fiennes, his peculiarities of his craft and how he's very specific about you don't appreciate what I do, <laughs> and then he has something that he wants to show them that is really weird, and then in the Swan it's about this boy being bullied 
and it's based on after each short some script comes on to tell you what the inspiration for the story was and most of them were inspired by something that Roald Dahl encountered in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is crazy when you think about it. But so often we say, you know, well, if you have Netflix, you may as well watch it. But this is one of those sets of, of, of films where you are just grateful you have Netflix so that you can watch it. Yeah, and if you watch one, the next one will be recommended for yeah, you. Yeah, just watch them. Watch and them all. It doesn't take long. About an hour and a half tops. I mean, the first one, Henry Sugar, or even less than that, Henry Sugar is barely 40 minutes, and the other two are under 20. Yeah. So you put them together, you've got a little over an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and boy, they are so worth it, especially if you're a fan of Wes Anderson. Um, and, and just and just delightful. And delightful. if you if you're not familiar with Roald Dahl's storytelling, might lead you into that as yeah. well. So uh, all around, yeah, Netflix got a winner here with three of them. It's the wonderful story of Henry Sugar, the Rat Catcher, and the Swan, all on Netflix now. And one more on VOD, a thriller. After escaping prison, Cat finds his own revolver pointed to his head by an unknown assailant. As the empty rounds click away, Cat tries to remember what happened to each bullet. This is called Head Count. They've got my gun. What's in the gun? How many bullets are left in this thing? Think. Your little Houdini stone on the chain gang cost me a promotion. You ran out of jail, so you picked them up. Mom's nice. And don't try to take off now. We both know I got faster reflexes than you can. <laughs> I need to buy some more time. Don't make it worse. Please. And we should say, if you're looking this up, it's not one word. It's head count. And that really ties into how the film is presented because as this synopsis kind of led you to believe, he's he's counting. He's trying to keep track of all these bullets and how many are in the chamber. Yeah, which is clever. And so a lot of the film is told in flashback as he's trying to recall what happened to each one of the bullets and he's trying to remember if there are any bullets left in here that will take his head off in a minute. Um, that's a clever uh, gimmick. There are some things about the film that work out well. Rachel Willis reviewed this one for us at MadWolf.com. In the end, though, it's more gimmick than anything else. So it just, you know, it can't quite, uh, it can't quite deliver on the promise of an interesting premise. Uh, the co-directors, Ben Burkhart and Jacob Burkhart, and they also are, are co-writers as well, along with Josh Doak. So, yeah, a very interesting premise and a good a good ambition. Yeah. It's ambitious storytelling, which we always appreciate. And check out Rachel's full review at MadWolf.com, and that is called Head Count. And one more to talk about as we head into, well, yeah, before the weekend is out. This will be October. That's right. Officially spooky season. That's I know right. so many people now do a Halloween countdown. They try to cram in as many horror films in the month as they can, and we can certainly respect that. In fact, we encourage it. That's and right. And we certainly hope that one of the films that you pick is Obstacle Corpse. That's right. In case you have never missed us talking about it, that is our film. So we made a horror film last year. It's called Obstacle Corpse. It was based originally on one of these races that George dragged me to, that he where he <laughs> won a T-shirt that said, remember, you signed a death waiver, because he had literally signed a death waiver, <laughs> which is dumb. And so by the time I got home, I had outlined this particular film. It's fun. It's funny. There's a high body count. There's a lot of blood. It's not very scary, though. And I think you would love it. I think so, too. And this one's just about 84, 85 Mm -hmm. minutes. Mm -hmm. And uh, Hope wrote and directed it. Um, I produced it. I have a small part in it. 
Uh, our son stars in it. Our son's band does all the music in it. Uh, first feature film from Mad Wolf Productions, and we got uh, just help from a tremendous set of uh, co-producers, uh, cast, and crew. Mm-hmm. So many talented people uh, helped us out on this, and we're quite proud of it. Yes. And yeah, if you like funny, you know, bloodletting, lots of that, yeah. but in a funny, silly way with some yeah. good characters and some good, some good performances. Think, check, check it out. Yeah, think Battle Royale meets Caddyshack. I'm in. Yes. I'm in. And it is on Amazon Prime as well as Voodoo. As well as Voodoo. So check it out. It's called Obstacle Corpse. Available now. All right, lobby time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. It's lobby time. Checking back in with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. The Schlocketeer, for all the latest news and notes. Do you have news or do you have notes? Uh, a little bit of both. Okay. We'll, we'll start with the uh, smaller news first. Gran Turismo is now available to rent on premium VOD. So if you missed it in theaters, you can watch it at home anytime you want over this weekend. And the Equalizer 3 will get its own premium VOD release starting October 3rd, as will the Nun 2. Stuff coming out fast. Yeah, it is. And uh, Universal's vulgar animal comedy, Strays, will hit Peacock on October 6th to stream. Neon's horror film, It Lives Inside, will be available on premium VOD beginning October 10th. Yeah, they are coming fast. Yeah, they are. Yep. (laughs) Very fast. Uh, There's the werewolf horror comedy, Shaky Shivers, which I know did a recent um, One Night Only Fathom limited release in theaters, but that's hitting... um, Screenbox to stream on October 17th, if you have that service. And then two days later on October 19th, we'll bring forth the VOD release of another Mel Gibson geezer teaser. Uh, this one's called Desperation Road and co-stars Garrett Hedlund, Willow Fitzgerald, and Ryan Hurst. He keeps busy. Yes, he does. Hopefully <laughs> this one will be better than the last one. But <laughs> you never know. <laughs> um, Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, is finally coming to streaming on October 20th on Peacock. Also finally coming to streaming later in October is Paul Schrader's Master Gardener. That'll be on Hulu on October 26th. And then Nickelodeon's legacy sequel, Good Burger 2, will hit Paramount Plus on November 22nd. And Lionsgate has set a theatrical release for John Woo's latest action opus, Silent Night, on December 1st. Uh, That's a Christmas Eve set revenge thriller starring Joel Kinnaman, and it has no dialogue. Ah, that seems to be a thing this fall. It does, yeah. So it it, it thought um, no one will save you was just a little too wordy. <laughs> Would you shut up play. already? <laughs> and I've got two more things for you. Of course, um, first up, MGM has pushed back the release of their satirical dramedy American Fiction by a little over a month. That will now open in limited theatrical release on December fifteenth, followed by a wide release on December twenty second. So. No big move on that one. And then finally, the writer's strike is over. Yay! (laughs) And the actor's strike could end as early as next week. I I was wondering how soon that would be because I get get the whole solidarity thing. So Mm -hmm. now that the writers have have found an agreement that I thought it should be coming soon. Yeah. Yeah, they have announced that they will begin negotiations again on Monday. Who knows how they'll go Mm -hmm. or how long it'll take, but they are going back to the table at least in a couple days here. Okay. Good to know. Keep us posted on that. And in the meantime, you can always keep up on the latest from uh, Daniel. You can follow him on socials at the Schlocketeer. 
Thank you much. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, looking ahead to next week. Well, as I said at the top, we're one week out from Exorcist Believer. Originally was going to have that Friday the 13th opening, but then Taylor Swift put a stop to that. So, Exorcist Believer, we see that on Tuesday. It's coming out next weekend. Foe, which I'm very excited about, the new Shersha Ronan movie. Also, Fair Play is going to hit Netflix next week. Jester. Plan C. VHS 85. Storms of Jeremy Thomas. Totally killer. And reptile. That is all next week. But a lot to talk about this week. You like the horror. You like the sci-fi. You like the big screen. You like the small screen. Really something for uh, everybody. So what do you think? We love to keep the conversation going anytime. You can find us easily on Twitter. That is at Mad Wolf on Facebook, on Instagram, on threads. It is all Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie only podcast, which we're going to record a new one tomorrow, by the way. Uh, called Fright Club. You can find that all at madwolf.com. So again, check out Obstacle Corpse. Let us know what you thought. We'd love to hear that you that you saw it this spooky season and if you appreciated it. So I uh, love when you keep in touch. Please do. And until next week, she is Hope Mad. He is George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>